Amen. Amen. Good morning, Harvest. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Angie's here. Awesome. So glad. And welcome to, uh, welcome to Harvest. And whether you're here for the first time or you're here again, whether you are joining us in person or online, you are family here. And we're so thankful to worship together with you. Uh, we're going to have communion at the end of the service today. And so if you're joining us at home, uh, feel free to grab some elements near to you, whether they be bread or, or crackers or maybe even a cookie, or maybe you don't have grape juice, maybe you got apple juice, maybe you got milk, whatever. Um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today as we continue to dive into our Build Your Church series. We're going to be in the book of Titus today, where where we're going to be the next eight weeks. And so if you want to get a head start there, go ahead and put your finger there. It's probably towards the back of your Bible on the right-hand side, if you probably about a third from the end there. Um, And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some in the back. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Um, That would be our gift to you. Please take it, mark it up, memorize it. We love God's Word. So thankful for you guys. So thankful for your heart to worship and faithfulness through singing, through worshiping, through the word, through giving. Thank you for doing that consistently. And man, we had a great worship uh, anniversary service, didn't we, last week? Seven baptisms was awesome. We had one person even try to baptize himself twice last week. It was awesome. God is moving and God is working and he is just getting started. Praise Jesus that he builds his church. That's our, ser- that's our sermon series, and that's based off the proclamation in Matthew 16, 18, that Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. We know that Jesus is not just the master builder, but he's the master architect. He designs it, and we're going to see that today. And so last week, we took a, a big picture, the macro view, if you would, of Jesus' command and his commission to all of us to make disciples, that we are to do that. And today, over the next eight weeks, we're going to take the micro view. We're going to zoom in on Jesus' blueprint print. He's the architect for how to build his church. He's the architect. He's a builder. He's a general contractor. And unlike general contractors today, and if this is you, I'm sorry, Jesus delivers on time and under budget. Um, (laughs) He's never late, and he always comes through with the best quality of work. Praise God for that. Uh, We're going to see the book of Titus today was written by arguably the greatest church planter ever. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so it's written by God ultimately and he used the Apostle Paul to do that. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter that is a blueprint to a young pastor of how Jesus desires to build his church. And that's what we're going to study as the cry of our hearts, the prayer is, Jesus, build your church here at Harvest. Now, the reality is that the building of Jesus's church does not happen easily nor lackadaisically, does it? It happens intentionally and and through much adversity. Jesus promises us this. He promises disciples this the night, literally hours before he went to the cross in the upper room. What did he tell them? The world will love you? No. What did he say? The world will what? They'll hate you. The world will persecute you like they did for me. Expect adversity, but press on because I have overcome. I've told you all these things so that in me, in me, you might have hope, Jesus said. As we look to Jesus today, we see the beauty of the work of building his church. We're going to see Titus facing much adversity in, on the island of Crete. And maybe you're here today and going through a lot of adversity in your life. As I look around and I just know portions of some of your stories, I know that there's a lot of adversity in all of our lives. The details might be different, but the reality is still the same. But the presence of earthly adversity does not deny Jesus' eternal victory. Amen. And so on that, we're going to see that we can stand. And on that and through that, we continue to build his church for his glory. The work to build this church comes through the strength of God and for the glory of God. 
And it, is, it comes with the greatest personal reward of all time, having a front row seat. Wasn't it awesome to see seven baptisms last week, right? That's the why. That's why we do it, to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel. I can't transform nobody, but God can. And he chooses to use us as the conduit through which the life-changing message of the gospel flows. That's awesome. As we choose today and every day, and as we saw last week, Jesus doesn't just save us so that we can settle for a life of complacency or mediocrity. But how many of us have done that? But Jesus sends us. He saves us to send us out on his mission, on a lifelong journey of growing in spiritual maturity and living missionally so that God might be glorified. We get to not just sit in a church. A church is not a building. We get to be the church. A church is called out, gathering a group of people that God has called out, set apart, to grow in him and go for him. But before we go for him, as you are going, we have to continue to grow in him. You see, God wants to first work in you before he works through you. He cares way more about who you are in him than what you do for him. But as we will see in this text, a huge fruit of one that is growing in God is one who is continually going for God. So as we first start in our own hearts, asking God to do the work continually on a lifelong journey that he would have for us, we pray that he would mobilize us and make us more and more into his image. Today, we're going to see in the beauty of the text that we are all saved by the amazing, unconditional grace of God. And we are sent through the unconditional love of God to become daily more like God so that we can accomplish the unstoppable purposes of God. But friends, I want to ask you a question today. What are you truly striving for? If you're really honest with yourself, are you striving after spiritual maturity today? Or have you been stuck or become stuck in a more season of stagnation? Or have you succumbed to a life that is stagnant, stale, safe, or even sinful? Because the reality is the lack of obeying God. We saw last week, the, is the Great Commission optional? No, it's a command. And so if we are choosing to not live on it, we are by definition living in disobedience because Jesus has commanded us. So it's not a question of whether we've been commanded, it's a question of whether we live obedient. So are you striving today to live for God as you grow in God, focused on building the church of God? Or are you seeking earthly popularity? Is that what you're pursuing? Pursuing financial prosperity? Pursuing a personal legacy more than spiritual maturity and more than God's glory? Today, Paul is going to teach us how pursuing spiritual maturity is the key to experiencing life abundantly so that we can live joyfully and experiencing God's mercy. Over this series, we're going to see a different pursuit each week. Last week, it was pursuing God's plan. This week, it's pursuing spiritual maturity. The big idea, and you'll see it on your notes, you'll see it on the screen, is this. Spiritual maturity equips me to live missionally, and it enables me to live courageously. Spiritual maturity equips me to live missionally, and enables me to live, live courageously. Now, this is a lifelong pursuit. Discipleship and, and sanctification is a lifelong journey. None of us have arrived this side of heaven or Jesus coming back. We all have a next step to take as we pursue spiritual maturity. So my heart and God's heart is to challenge you and then equip you 
to pursue spiritual maturity as God changes you and he grows you to become more and more like him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for saving us. God, thank you for sending us. Thank you for giving us this beautiful blueprint called the word of God and even specific descriptions in many of these letters for how you want to build your church. And God, I just pray the cry of our heart is build your church. God, start in us. Start in me, God, and I, I pray that you would grow in us and foster in us a heart of humility, uh, the God that just grows and seeks and desires to live for you courageously, confidently, and wholeheartedly. God, there's so much adversity that we face outside of us, and honestly, so much adversity we face inside of us as our flesh wrestles with our own sinful nature that wants to put ourselves on the throne and God, today, I pray that in your grace and in your goodness, we, you would remove ourselves from the throne of our hearts and replace it with your Son, your Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we become more like you and we would go more for you as we pursue God just growing in you each and every day. God, we love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Titus. So we're going to go verse by verse these next eight weeks through the book of Titus. First four verses today. So this is the Apostle Paul writing as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing to his protege Titus. And he says this, verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Praise be to God. So the book of Titus is written to Titus. It's a letter from Paul who is mentoring and discipling Titus. Now, Paul is writing towards the end of his life. Titus is, is written about approximately the same time as 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It is one of what is known as the pastoral epistles. Paul is in and out of jail. He is nearing the end of his physical life, and he has these two men, young men that he loves dearly, Timothy and Titus, who he is left to pastor. Timothy is in Ephesus. Titus is in Crete. And here he is leaving them a play-by-play description of how God wants to build the church. And not just for their informational purposes, but to then apply it in day-to-day life as they seek to lead out and live for the glory of God and to do the work of building God's church. Now, ultimately, Jesus is the one who builds his church. It's not us that do the, but we are the subcontractors, if you will, the one, the day laborers, the ones who allow God to use our hands, our heart, our resources, our priorities, our pursuits, so that God works in us and through us as his ambassadors to build his church. Paul is telling Titus, you've been with me. You've seen me do it. You've helped me. And now, you need to choose to do it. I'll, I'm with you as much as I can, but my time on earth is drawing short. I will leave you an instruction manual. But at the end of the day, you must choose to obey it, follow it, and apply it in order to have a healthy church. It's a, it's a, Crete is a place that is covered with adversity. Paul, as we have seen throughout the book of Acts, has a threefold strategy 
to building God's church, to planting new churches, which is one we follow here at Harvest. We want to take the word of God, pull out its truth, and apply it to our lives. Paul in Acts and all throughout the letter, what does he do? The first step is he preaches the gospel. He goes to the city center and he preaches the gospel. Second step is he strengthens the believers. Third step is he appoints local elders to govern each local church. And now he's going to instruct Titus to do the exact same thing. Paul's heart, that is a driving passion behind this letter, is to instruct Titus in how to build God's church God's way, in a way that will last, in a way that will withstand and stand in the face of adversity. And friends, that's what we want to do today, amen? Because we're facing adversity, aren't we? Maybe you are personally, but also collectively in a culture that is becoming more adversarial to the church of God and the word of God on a daily basis. We have to stand, and God has given us a blueprint and how we do this. This is a lifelong goal of the apostle Paul. And I pray it becomes your heart personally. And I pray that it continues to be, and it continues to grow in strength, the heart of our church, God's church here at Harvest collectively. We see it's Paul's heart because he says this a couple years earlier in his letter to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. He says this, he says, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. For this I toil, and I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So what is Paul's goal? What's his purpose? What is his pursuit, if you would? To present who? Spiritually mature? Some people? All. And guess what? You're included in that all. Spiritual maturity is for everyone, not just someone. It's not just the people with the Bible college education, the people that grew up in church. Paul's desire is for every single person to grow in spiritual maturity. And he's like, this is what I'm giving my life for. For this I toil. Now toil means what? Hard work, right? I look at some of you guys around. Some of you guys do hard work. You dig ditches, you dig in trenches, you get up and you're tired at the end of the day, right? That's what Paul is doing right here. He says, I toil. Why? Because it's worth it, because Jesus is worth it, and because you're worth it. But, not, but here's, a, here's where we often go wrong, friends, as, church, as a church. Whose strength is Paul using to toil and to present everyone mature? His own or God's? God's, right? The Holy Spirit. It says, with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So in order, before I can go make everybody else spiritually mature, before I blood, sweat, tears, and Paul does blood, sweat, and tears, he goes, God, you need to work in me first, and you need to continue to work so that I have the energy to do your work. That's why it starts with our own personal pursuit of spiritual maturity, to die to more and more of myself so that I can live more and more to God. So often, friends, in church, we wrap our, our own identity in God's work, but it actually becomes our identity and our strength, right? And then we go sideways because we want to control everything. Paul's saying, no, 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 I'm going to toil, but I'm going to toil in God's strength for God's glory and to present everyone, not just, not just the people that I like and are naturally get along with, but everyone, the ones that I butt heads with, the one that I have initial theological differences with, everyone mature. And that comes with a heart of humility, but also conviction and a willingness to work and to do the hard work. And God will do the heart work. 
This is Paul's goal, and I pray it's our desire. The background, and it starts in my heart and overflows into my life. The background for Crete is this. You'll see a picture on the screen of the island of Crete. It's a Greek island. It's the southernmost Greek island. And in this, it's a modern-day popular vacation spot, as you'll see on the map. And it's full of currently instability and many, many false teachers. There were many churches who needed to be established there, and it was a very intense situation We don't know exactly when Paul planted the church. We don't see it definitively in the book of Acts, but we know that he planted it because next week we're going to see in verse five, he says, Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete. So Paul was there with Titus. He planted the church. We don't know exactly when. Now Paul is somewhere else writing a letter back. Now who is Titus? Titus was a Greek believer. Paul was a Jewish believer. Titus is a Greek believer. That's going to play out in the course of this letter. Who was very dependable for Paul. He was a young leader, probably in his upper 20s, low 30s. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. He's mentioned 13 times throughout the New Testament before we get to this letter. Many times in 2 Corinthians. So you know what we know about Titus? We don't know a whole lot. But we know he is not afraid of hard work. Because was Corinthians a healthy church? Uh Uh-uh. Is Crete a healthy place? Uh Uh-uh. Titus is like the spiritual marine, right? You need hard work done, he goes in. Paul sends him into Crete. It's a hard calling, but Titus is anchored in the word of God and willing to pour himself out to do the work of God. Even in the hardest of cultures, we have a greater savior. When you truly encounter Jesus and surrender your life to Christ, as we're going to see in this text right now, everything changes, doesn't it? And our lives are to be marked by Jesus. So today we're going to look at five marks from this text of spiritual maturity. And my challenge for each and every one of us, starting with my own self, as God has taken me behind the woodshed, honestly, this week, is are these marks visible in my life? And are they genuine pursuits of my own heart right now? Or have I shirked my responsibility to grow in spiritual maturity because I've given way to complacency or idolatry? So as we go through these five marks, ask yourself, or maybe ask your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, someone that knows you well, do you see this in my life? And then ask the Holy Spirit to reveal areas of your life where maybe these aren't on full display. And friends, I want to encourage you as we go through this entire series, the point of this, this point of spiritual maturity is not to be perfect, but it's to be pursuing, Right? It's when the Holy Spirit brings conviction and none of us have arrived. We all have room to grow. We all have a next step to take today. It's to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us and then we repent from where we have fallen short and then we recommit and refocus, reset whatever we need to do as the Holy Spirit leads to pursuing the Lord in spiritual maturity. Again, it's not to be perfect. It's about being perfected by the work of the Holy Spirit. Five marks of of spiritual maturity. Are they in your life right now? And are you pursuing them? Or will you commit today to pursue them? The first is this, clarity of identity. A first mark of spiritual maturity is clarity of identity. We see that right off the bat in verse 1. Look at how Paul writes and declares and who he is. It's how he describes himself. Paul, a what? What's your next word in your Bible there? A servant of God. And a, what's your next word, depending on your translation? Apostle. So he's like, here I am, Paul a servant of God, and an apostle of God. That is Paul's identity. Now, was, it always that, was that always Paul's identity? No. But when you encounter Jesus, everything changes. And now Paul, as you, read, as you read the book of Acts, as you read other letters, we see that he had everything. 
He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was first in the class. He probably had all the gold stars growing up. He probably memorized all the Bible verses. He had power, he had prestige, he had position, and he was miserable. He oversaw in Acts 7 the murder of Stephen. So he was a murderer. He knew all about God, but he was continually living in sin against God. Spiritual information does not save you. Only a true heart transformation from the power of the gospel. Paul has gone through quite an identity transformation, and maybe you have, or maybe you need to today. When the power of God puts, uh, is at work, man, watch out. Paul has gone from church persecutor to church planter, church pastor and church preacher. He's gone from a murderer to a missionary. He's gone from a t- church tormentor to a teacher. Jesus Christ changes everything, amen? Jesus moves us from success to significance. Paul had success, or Saul as he was known then, but he didn't have significance, And maybe that's you. Maybe your bank account, your IRA is overflowing. Maybe you've got all the cars, the houses, the whatever you want. But you're miserable on the inside because you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or maybe you feel on the other end of the spectrum, you have nothing. But when you turn your life over to Jesus, you'll realize that you have everything. Friends, where are you placing your identity? The word servant here is the Greek word doulos. It's one of my favorite words in all of history. It means bond slave. Voluntarily laying down my rights and posturing my heart and my body and my life, every aspect of it, every money I have, every resource I have, every minute I have on this earth, under the lordship of Jesus Christ and saying, you are my boss and I am here to do your work, not mine. Voluntarily laying it down. Have you done that? Because then you realize you're a steward and not an owner. And then he says apostle. Apostle means sent one. Paul's like, I have been saved by God to live on mission for God. And so have you and I. The whole point of the Great Commission, Jesus says in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Friends, would you describe yourself as a doulos today, authentically, genuinely? It takes a heart of humility The pathway to pursuing spiritual maturity, get this please, is paved with humility. To lay down my rights, to admit that I need help, to ask for help, to surrender control. All of us as natural human beings want to naturally control things, don't we? But the more we fight for it, the more we realize we don't have any of it. Surrender control, surrender my life, surrender my finances, surrender my relationships, all under the authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and his word, Following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, would these, are these true of you? Is it, do you have this clarity of identity in your heart and life to now? Are you a doulos? Or have you surrendered your heart to Jesus? Many people know that Jesus is the Son of God. Even the demons recognize that. But the, the, the real line of delineation is, have you submitted your heart to Jesus as Lord? Lord means he's in control and I'm not. So when he says, give money, I give money. When he says, go over there, I go over there. When he says, stay, I stay. When he says, have that conversation, I have that conversation. When he says, forgive, I'm not saying it's easy. It's countercultural and counter flesh. But I'm saying it's transformational and it's a heart of obedience. Is that you today? We see in this text the notion of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. That's a different sermon for a different day. But for the sake of, of the faith of God's elect, faith is human responsibility. God's elect is divine sovereignty. 
but they often always interact. What I mean by that is just because Jesus says he's going to build his church, that doesn't mean that we get to sit on our hands and do nothing. We have a human responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. Amen? Will you do it? Friends, your daily priority is driven by your primary identity. If you are a doulos, if that is your primary identity, that drives your priority. If your primary identity is something else, that will drive it. What is your identity? How would you, if you were writing a letter, how would you introduce yourself today? I, Dan, blank, basketball coach, army sergeant, HVAC worker, stay-at-home mom, teacher, educator, whatever it is. How would you self-describe yourself primarily? Genuinely, think about that. Is it as a child of God, son of God? Is it daughter of God, ambassador for God or not? The path to spiritual maturity begins with embracing my true identity. Will you today embrace the reality that you are first and foremost a doulos, a servant of God, a bond slave to God, and then a sent one of God? We need to build our lives on the foundation of God. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, no found, there is no foundation, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is then laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? So that's Jesus building his church. Jesus is the foundation. That is my identity. My identity is anchored in the foundation. Because if you don't have a good foundation, look at this picture. Look what happens, right? The house comes tumbling down. The church comes tumbling down. If the foundation is in a person's success, an elder board, a staff member, a pastor, a program, anything other than Jesus, that church and that house, if your, your nuclear home is built on anything other than Jesus, it will come tumbling down. Matthew chapter 7, right? If you build your house and your life on the rock, you will stand the storms that are coming. If you build it on the sand, guess what's going to happen when the storms come? Whoosh, wiped out. Where is your foundation where is it? I would challenge you this week, read Philippians 3, 3 through 11 on your own. We don't have time today, but Paul's like, here's his whole, whole, whole resume. And he's like, I had it all. But I've learned that everything is, is literally dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, when we talk about one family, it talks about how we are growing as spiritual children in maturity so that we are no longer tossed to and fro by the cunning doctrine and the temptation and the adversity that we face. We have to grow. It also says there that the church can only really grow to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish when everyone is doing their part. And growing to do our parts is submitting our hearts and lives, individually deciding, and then collectively pursuing under the headship of Jesus Christ. Paul had a clarity of identity to you. Where are you anchoring your identity today? And will you, will you either repent from areas that you have put your identity in that are not Jesus? And if you have done that, I challenge you and I, I compel you. I pray that the word compels you to repent. Or maybe today is the first day that you choose to put your identity in Jesus. Second mark of a holy, of a spiritual maturity is this. Growing in godliness daily. Growing in godliness daily. Again, it's not being about being perfect. It's about pursuing, and we all have a next step to take. Look at Paul. He says, Paul says, I am a servant, and I am the apostle of Christ Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul's like, the whole point is that I am here to help you grow in spiritual maturity. I want you to become more godly. I want you to become more like Jesus. Is that your pursuit as well? 
And as we've said before, often here at Harvest Sanctification, God doesn't use a microwave. He uses a crock pot, right? A long, slow road of one decision after another. Every decision through the metric and the maze of what does Jesus want me to do? How, what does God's word say about how I should spend my time right now? My money, how I, should I date this person? How should I raise my kids? How should I respond to this bad work email? What should I, should I move or should I stay? All of that godliness says is through the lens of God's word and listening to the Holy Spirit. How do I know that God wants you to grow in him? Well, because God's word says it very, very clearly. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, Paul writes, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means you. Sanctification means to be set apart. It means to grow in God. The temptation in our lives is that worldliness often seems more exciting and compelling than godliness, doesn't it? But it just leaves us with a heart full of of emptiness, frankly. What happens when the money dries out? What happens when the relationship ends? What happens when the scholarship gets, goes away? What happens when your glory days are in the past and you're just reminiscing like a Bruce Springsteen song? What happens? Here's a couple things godliness is not. Godliness is not religious busyness. It is personal holiness. I'm just going to do stuff for God. Look, the scripture is full of examples of that reading. Read. Read Revelation chapter 2 and and the letter it's like to the church of Ephesus. You do all these great things, but this I hold against you. You've forsaken your first love. Jesus to Martha and Mary, and then Martha's busy doing stuff, serving the Lord, Luke chapter 10. And he's like, Mary's doing the right thing. She's sitting at my feet. Martha, you're anxious about many things. Why? Because you're just filling your life with busyness as opposed to pursuing holiness. Is that you? Second thing, godliness is not just the accumulation of theological information. The Pharisees had a lot of that, didn't they? Godliness is the application of biblical truth from a true heart transformation. It's not just knowing and having memory versus memorized. Paul had that when he was Saul. It's living, it's allowing God to control your heart and your life and living it out. Because Paul, in all his theological information, was was a murderer and a church persecutor. Theology is not a hobby to be debated for sport, but it's a foundation of your heart to pursue. Godliness is not a religion, but it's a growing relationship with the Lord. Again, Paul, he had all the religious accolades you could dream of. Top of the class in Pharisee school, he had it all. But everything changed when he actually began to have a growing relationship with the Lord. That's what Derek's testimony was last week. I had all the religious information, but I realized that I didn't have a personal relationship you have a personal relationship. And when you have a personal relationship growing, you figure you're not going to be perfect, but you're probably going to be sinning less because you're going to be pursuing more. And when you do sin, you're quicker to repent. You're quicker to seek forgiveness. You're quicker to give forgiveness. You're quicker to demonstrate the characteristics of God. You are quicker to pursue and invest in what matters to God and and, and give your life to delighting in God because you find your satisfaction in God. Godliness is not cultural Christianity, but it's convictional Christianity. If, you, if you're just a cultural Christian, man, you're going to get washed away when it gets hard, right? We're seeing that before our daily eyes each and every day. Oh, I believe this on this stance. No, nope. well, culture has changed, and now I believe that the Bible says this. The Bible hasn't changed, guys. We need to anchor our truth, our worldview, our perspective in the unchanging truth of God's word. 
and live with conviction and not convenience. Follow Christ, don't follow culture. Friends, you can't have the product without the pursuit or the process, but we try, don't we? I want spiritual maturity without doing the work. It's like saying, I want to become a Navy SEAL without going to Bud's. I want to go to the NBA without working. I want to go to the Olympics without watching what I eat. I want to become a professor without getting, going to school. Like, it requires work. Scripture says that we must work out our own salvation. I can't do it for you. You must choose to prioritize reading God's word, to prioritize being in church and small group, to prioritize a prayer life and learning about God and meditating about God and memorizing scripture, being in a mentoring, discipling relationship. You can't have the product of spiritual maturity without the process of spiritual maturity. And it's a hard process. It is a daily dying to self. And is dying pleasant? No, right? But it's beautiful because what you gain is so much more valuable. Where do you need to choose to die today that you've been holding on to? Paul lays out this whole plan when he writes the Colossians, and he says this in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, that's just step one, friends. Your new life begins then. Then walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So just like building a skyscraper, the taller you want to go, the more impact you want to have, the deeper you need to go first, your roots in the Lord. And then, so you can continue to be abounding in thanksgiving. A huge key to someone that is truly growing in God is a heart filled and life filled of gratitude from God, right? We always have a reason to be thankful, even when life is miserable. Because Jesus. So how do I grow in godliness? Well, I ask myself, is my heart soft and open to growing? Is it humble to admit that I don't have the, 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 all the answers and asking people, the right people, and going to God's word for help? Am I positioning myself to grow? Am I reading God's word? Am I making the time? I, a lot of us, I don't have the time. You might not. You need to make the time, friends. We all make time for what truly matters. You, need, you want to make that extra buck, you'll make time for it. You want to watch the game, you'll make time for it. Then you I don't have time to read God's word. No, it's not a time issue. It's a priority issue. It's a pursuit issue. Come to the Got Questions class. Go to a small group. Ask somebody. Go to Starbucks. Get in the God's word together. Get on a Bible sharing app and, and get accountability for reading God's word. Memorize scripture together with your spouse or your family. And then ask yourself, am I living with gospel integrity? Does my walk match my talk? Is everything I'm doing aligned with God's word? How I spend my money, how I raise my kids, what I do with my time. It's like, it's like this. Here's, a, here's like a, a fun Christian comedian question. How do you know if you were the 90s youth group kid, right? You're probably rocking one of these things. Go ahead and put the, the pictures of the bracelet up behind me if you don't mind. What does WWJD mean, right? What would Jesus do? Uh, yeah, we all make fun of it now. <laughs> but really, there's truth behind that. In every scenario, how would Jesus respond to this email? How would Jesus spend this money? How would Jesus, what would Jesus, and then we need to do it, right? You might be a 90s kid if, that's me. Um, are you doing that? Are you living it? Or are you excusing it? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to lead you? And then are you following him? Are you listening to him? Are you obeying him? Or are you rationalizing? I was going to tithe, 
but the new Xbox came out. Or the medical bill. Look, that gets real, really real. Right? How, I was gonna go to small group, but I was gonna read my Bible, but look, we all have crazy stuff that happens. Grace, not guilt. But what are you genuinely pursuing versus what are you excusing and what are you rationalizing? Friends, daily rest today in God's righteousness, but continue to ongoingly pursue growing in godliness. We aren't saved by our works. We are saved by God's grace alone. Ephesians 2, but it continues, 8, 9, and 10. We are then saved not by works, but we're saved to work. To do the work that God planned for us before the beginning of time so that he might be glorified. We aren't saved by works, but we're saved to work through the power of God. Third, third mark of spiritual maturity is hope eternally. Hope eternally. Man, hope is a rare commodity these days, right? It might even be rarer than good gas prices at the pump. But it says this in verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with, of which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Paul is in and out of jail. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bit. He's been tortured. He's been tormented. And he still has hope. Titus is in a really hard calling. He's in a really difficult scenario. How, how difficult? Well, just hop your eyes over to verse 12. We'll dig on this more in a couple weeks. But look at how the Cretans describe themselves. Verse 12 of chapter 1. As one of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Sign me up for that mission trip, right? But that's where Titus has been installed to build God's church. Praise God, the light shines in the darkness. Maybe that sounds a little bit like our culture right now. Through much adversity, the gospel will still shine. And there's hope eternally. Paul had hope. He's, he's instilling, he's exhorting Titus to live with hope as he shifts his eyes to what? What are the sources of hope? The character of God. Because while the Cretans always lie, our God never lies. Isn't that awesome? Is that your source of hope today? When the doctor calls with really bad news, when the bills look like they're going to outweigh the finances, when the relationship seems like it's falling apart, when you don't know how to parent your kids or you might not even know where your kid, your adult child is, are you dropping your anchor in the character of God and the faithfulness of God? Because there's hope in the character of God. Second source of hope, I'm resting in Christ's righteousness. The manifestation of this hope comes as God has promised his truth to the preaching of the gospel. So hope comes of eternal life. How do I get eternal life? Through Jesus Christ. Through the righteousness of Christ, which I am a sinner and every sin of mine requires a death penalty that I can't pay. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, Sat, was sacrificed involuntarily on my behalf. And in him and through him, he gives me his righteousness so that in, my, in God's eyes, I can stand no, for as, no longer as accused, but as redeemed and as holy, covered by the righteousness of God. Praise God. Amen. I rest in his righteousness. I rest in the finality of the gospel and the eternal life that comes with it. And as you dig into this text, 
not only do we have hope in eternal life, but the, the, this hope has been manifested, which means it's been demonstrated in his word. The word word means logos. You know who John 1 says is the word? Jesus. Jesus. So friends, you can rest in the righteousness and the finished work of Jesus today, no matter how unfinished your life is. Third source of hope is, hope is I can trust in God's truth. God's word is truth. Jesus is truth. I am the way, John 14, 6, right? I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but my Jesus is truth. I can trust in Jesus' truth. In a world full of lies, I can trust in Jesus' truth. Fourth, I can find my peace in God's promises. So in hope of eternal life, my hope comes through the God who never lies, who promised before the ages began. So God is full of promises. And God always does what he says. His entire book, 66 chapters, is full of the promises of God. So as we find biblical hope straight from this text, a good way to sort of summarize it is this. You'll see it on the screen here. Biblical hope from Titus 1, 1 through 4 is my confident expectation for the future anchored in the character of God and the promises of God. My confident expectation, no matter what will come my way for the, today, for the future is anchored in the character of God and the promises of God. Friends, will you anchor in that truth today? Because it takes courage to stand in the face of adversity and to live missionally. But as we pursue spiritual maturity, which anchors my hope, not in my bank account, not in my job, not in my title and my military, not in whether my team wins or loses, not in how it went at school today, whether I failed the test, got the scholarship, how the doctor's appointment went. No, it anchors my hope, spiritual maturity does, in the character of God and the promises of God in the personal relationship I have through the Son of God, with our Heavenly Father, God Himself. And then I can live courageously, and then I can live missionally, and withstand adversity. The fourth mark of maturity is this. It embraces biblical community. Verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith. Child, there is, I mean, son in the faith, there is a relationship there, isn't there? There is Deep levels of biblical community. That is a sign of spiritual maturity. We are not meant to live alone. Read Acts chapter 2. They lived and they held everything together in common. Are you today? Are you willing to open your heart and open your life to loving others? God's church is designed to be lived together. It is not an individual journey. We are meant to live life together, but we have to choose to open our heart and open our life together Discipleship is a lifelong process that leads to multiplication. Paul has discipled Titus to the point of multiplying. That's our heart here too. We love, we love each other so much, but we can't get in a holy huddle that we're unwilling to go or wherever God leads. Paul loved Titus, but now they're on different continents. They're in different countries. He didn't hold on to him and say, don't go. But man, we have a hard time with that sometimes, right? If we want to multiply disciples, we want to multiply small groups, we want to multiply, we got to go. I had someone this morning literally come to me and say, man, I'm sorry for, you know, we're going to this new small group. We're excited to get it started, but man, I'm, I'm sort of sorry to leave your small group. I'm like, I miss you, but I'm not sorry you're gone. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. That's part of the mission. And yes, I would love to hang out with, I would love to hang out with all of you. That's just how I'm wired. Introverts are like, whoa. Um, but no, we we can't all be in the same place. We got to gather to scatter. We got to send our best. 
That's what church planning is. That's what multiplication, disciple making. Paul sent his best. He sent Titus. And it takes the heart of spiritual maturity to continue to love deeply and release freely. It doesn't it? We live in a very transient area. Man, so many people come and so many people go through every year, two years, three years. And it's hard, isn't it? And there's a natural temptation, whether you're on the going end or the staying end, if you're on the going end, you're, I have moved military-wise so many times, I'm just going to, how, how do I open my heart again to just leave in a year or two, be where you are? And man, you're here and you're like, people keep going and it's hard. My piece of my heart goes out the door. Yes, it does. Welcome to the club. And it should always be that way. Grief is the price of love, man. You don't grieve something you don't miss. You don't grieve people that you don't invest your heart and your life in. But man, the reward outweighs the cost, doesn't it? And part of spiritual maturity is to continue to love deeply even when it hurts immensely. Even risking being hurt. You mean that last person in the small group, they sort of gossiped about me and it hurt? Yeah, we should forgive them and then choose through the process to love again. Satan wants you to close your heart. He wants you to close your hands. He wants you to close everything. But biblical community invests completely. In the Bible, we see them investing and sending their best people, giving not just some of their money, all their money, all their resources, Wherever God would have different seasons, different roles, same heart. We see the power of the gospel here. Remember, Paul was a what? A Jew. Titus was a Gentile. They didn't naturally get along, but God. I love what Nate read earlier from Ephesians 2. It it, it talks later in that Ephesians 2 passage about how Jesus Christ is our peace. And how he breaks down the walls of hostility, uniting Jews and Gentiles. And we see that right here with Paul and Titus. The power of the gospel is transformational to allow us to live in biblical community throughout political, cultural hostility because the blood of Jesus binds us together with true authenticity and in deep community. So what does this look like? Friends, we aren't the same without you. And if you have been struggling or wondering whether you should commit, not just sign up, you know, whatever, but open your heart, open your life, open every resource that you have, open your hands I would challenge you because Jesus challenges you to invest, to open. Maybe it's a baby step. Maybe it's a big step. I don't know what that next step is for you, but maybe it's join a small group. Maybe it's join the church. Maybe it's begin to start giving. Maybe it's begin to start investing and sharing authentically about what God's doing in your heart and life. It requires sacrifice, but it's all in response of worship to God's ultimate sacrifice for us sending Jesus. Amen. That's living it out. So this looks like using our spiritual gifts to serve the church. It looks like using all of our resources, not some of our resources, to help build God's church. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, 1 Timothy 6. It looks like living life together as Jesus' church, living out the 59 one on others in the New Testament. It looks like living out Acts 2. It looks like giving your life to advancing and building God's church. It looks like not playing family, but being family. We are a family of families. All are welcome here. All are loved here. And I pray that we would weep together and rejoice together and embrace God's mission together as we invite others to join. Again, spiritual maturity equips me to live missionally and enables me to live courageously. Fifth and finally, the fifth mark that the question is, am I demonstrating this? And then am I pursuing this? Is this a spiritual maturity? Is gospel centrality. Gospel centrality. We see that right here all throughout this text as we see the gospel. Paul concludes and he says, grace and peace from God and Father, the Father and Jesus Christ, our Savior. Isn't that awesome? That the grace of God is not just for your salvation, but it's for your day-to-day sanctification. That peace is not a place. It's not a number in a bank account. It's not a title in a job. It's not the score of a game. It's not a, well, I finally went from 
not in a relationship to in a relationship status on Facebook. Peace, Ephesians 2, is a person. Jesus Christ is our peace. And he gave himself fully. He had to die so that we could be at peace. It's the gospel. And grace and peace are available to you right now because God can't be anything but gracious because grace isn't something he gives. He does. But more than that, gracious is who God is. It's his character. Amen? And Jesus is not just one who gives peace. He makes peace. He is peace. Over and over again, Paul is like, Titus, you're about to go to war against the culture, but man, take this to the bank that you have the grace of God on our side, your side, amen? That when you get up in the morning and you're going to face a Judaizer, remember that God's grace is greater than any trial you're going to face. When the culture and the Christians who are always liar and beasts and hostile, they attack you, remember that your peace is not with them, it's with Jesus Christ supernaturally. Praise God, amen. And that we are, God gives it to us through our salvation and he sends it to us on mission. Look at the missional aspects of gospel centrality. It says this in verse three, and to Paul, and he says, as a proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of Lord God, our savior. Paul is saying there, I have been saved by the gospel and now I have been sent by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have been entrusted with the mission of the gospel. Gospel centrality is anchoring my heart in the grace and the peace of God and living my life on the mission of God. I have been entrusted with this mission, the preaching, the proclaiming of the truth that changes everything, not through convenience or not when it's optional, but the, what does the text say in verse three? By the command, again, right? Literally, right there in the text, the command that I preach the word. And you might be like, Pastor Dan, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are, friends. You might not have a pulpit, but you have a table. You might not have a pulpit, but you have a cubicle. You have a family. Are you communicating the grace of God and you're telling people about Jesus? By, the, by definition, the proclamation of preaching is just proclaiming the gospel. It might be one-on-one -on -one at Starbucks or Panera. It might be in your cubicle at work or on the campus of your college or in the locker room of your high school. It might be in the cul-de-sac of your neighborhood. It might be on your Facebook group. It might be at, over lunch at work. But are you faithfully stewarding the mission that you have been entrusted? This is gospel centrality. To live out and to share the gospel confidently, courageously, wholeheartedly with gentleness, with respect, knowing that the Lord's the one that changes hearts, but that we, not just a phrase on the wall, but we are unafraid witnesses, boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in a world that desperately needs some good news. Amen? We have been entrusted with this gospel. Is it central to your life? Is it central to how you talk? Is it central to how you live? Is it central to how you make decisions? And if not, why not? If not, would you repent of that today and recenter your life, recenter your finances, recenter your, your, your communication points? And maybe you're like, this gospel, what are you talking about? I want peace. I want grace. I, don't, I just feel guilt. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and I just ask you to come this morning. Jesus asks you to come and just say, I, Jesus, I want you. I need you. I surrender my life. I don't even know really what that means other than I'm done trying to do it myself, and I believe that you are the Savior, and I want to follow you. Praise God. So today, my question for you is that with these five marks, are you demonstrating spiritual maturity in your life? Are these visible representations? These are fruit of maturity. When people look at you, do they see them? 
and then in your own life, daily, are you pursuing them? What is the one that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of right now just to take a next step in this week? Not even this week, today. Where do you need to repent from missing the mark? Sin literally is missing the mark. That's the definition of sin. Where do you need to reorient your life and your heart today? To anchor it in Jesus, to say, I am a bond slave. Forgive me for holding on to this or to that. And God, I want to pursue you today. And I want to live for you. I want to live sent. You've entrusted me with a mission and a message. And I want to be a faithful messenger. Equip me, send me. We, We will come alongside you and equip you. But all it is is sharing a testimony like the seven people did last week. This is who I was before God. And this is now what God did for me. And this is how I am after him. Would you pull out your cups? We're going to take communion right now. Communion is a representation. It is a symbol and a remembrance and an ordinance of the church and the gospel. It's a tangible representation. Two parts to it. The first part is the wafer on top of your cup. If you slide that out, Jesus was in the upper room. And as we embark on communion here at Harvest, we practice what is called open communion. You don't have to be a member here. This could be your first time here. So glad you're here, your family. You are welcome to take communion with us if you have a personal relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you do not have a personal relationship yet with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I would politely and humbly ask that you would refrain from taking communion. If you have not made that decision and want to make it now, I would encourage you to make that decision now and maybe even partake in your first communion. But Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Chris is going to continue to pray and I'm going to close this time in prayer in a second and then we're going to eat the bread together. But what scripture teaches about communion is that we need to come to God with a clean heart. We're all a mess. Praise God that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, amen. This is a time of confession. Where is your life missing the mark right now? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it and then take time to confess it. And then I'll close us in a time of prayer and then we will eat this wafer together. So just go before the Lord right now and confess any sin in your life or ask him to reveal it right now. Father, please forgive us for so often missing the mark. God, but into our mess, you you injected your mercy. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and to clean up our mess and to cover our sin with your grace, to pay for our sin with your body, which is now broken for us. God, thank you so much. In your mighty name that we pray, amen. Would you now, friends, eat this wafer, this in remembrance of Jesus' body, which is broken for you. The night Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup and said, this is my body, this is my blood poured out for you. He didn't hold any drop back. He laid it all down on mission for you because there was no other way. 
He viewed God as worthy. And in an act of worship, he went to the cross because he considered you worth it. Amen. Friends, as we think about others around us, do you consider God worthy and others worth it to lay everything down, to invest in, to go across the table, across the street, and across the world to tell them about the good news of the gospel which which we have been entrusted with? Before we take this juice, I want to do this. I want to ask you to commit in your heart to whatever your next step is in following the Lord. We did a time of repentance, and now it's a time of commitment. Maybe God, the Holy Spirit, has stirred on your heart one of these next steps to take between you and God right now, and maybe you want to share with your spouse or the small group later this week, I want you to make that commitment to God in remembrance of the blood that Jesus spilled in his commitment to God to pay the price to bring you the transformational hope of the salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ that only came through his shed blood. So right now, would you just go to the Lord in prayer and ask and make a commitment to him, whatever the Holy Spirit is stirring on your heart, and maybe it's a conversation to have this week, maybe it's something to do or to invest or a way to further his kingdom, advance his gospel right now. Father God, we're so thankful, Jesus, that you are fully committed to us. First and foremost, you are committed fully to your Father. And in a heart of worship and a heart to bring him glory, you lived out the mission that he had given you. God, in these marks of maturity that we saw in the life of Paul, as he exhorted and encouraged Titus today, may they be true of us. God, today we ask for your forgiveness for the things that we have so often held back. And today we offer as a living sacrifice, as as living sacrifices, as Paul writes in Romans 12, our whole lives, every ounce of our money and our resources, every hour of our day, every word out of our mouth, God, we give to you, we commit to you because we are stewards that you have entrusted with a message and a mission. God, help us to live with gospel centrality out of a heart of worship. In your name we pray, amen. Now, would you please drink this in remembrance of the blood that Jesus poured out for you. Father, we thank you so much for the power of the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for the blood that was shed for us. The blood that was shed that was necessary to reunite us for all of eternity with God, our Heavenly Father. God, we thank you that you did not spare one drop of blood, but you willingly gave. And God, today we just want to thank you and we want to praise you and we want to adore you. We want to remember you, not just today, but every day. And may the gospel be central in our hearts and central in our lives as we live out the calling that you have given us. In your name we pray, amen.